0: Um, We continue in our series of 1 Corinthians and tonight we're going to be looking at three main lenses. Um, Future, focus and freedom is what Paul, I believe, tackles in our passage. So let me start by asking you, how easily do you get distracted? Do you get distracted easily? Yeah, I know plenty of you, Stephen Wright. (laughs) It's one I can highlight here, but pretty much most of these young adults, I know that people get distracted easily. But I also know that that is definitely true of me at times as well. One of the things my wife, Amanda, hates is when she's trying to talk to me, but she can see that my eye is on my phone or on the TV with the sports game going on behind her or something. And then in complete frustration, she loses it and goes, Oh, you're not even listening. You're so distracted. I oh, know that's a regular occurrence for me. If there is sport on, that's normally where my attention is, whether it should be there or not. Um, or I used to teach theology at one of your classmates. Actually, Steve was one of them as well. But I used to teach theology at to mention before I came here to Mitcham, And in one particular year level, there was a certain student that it didn't matter how important our task was at hand, they would be distracted. If there was a piece of paper on the ground, that's where their attention would be. If there was a butterfly flying past a window, that is what would grab their attention, Um, anything other than what they should be focusing on. Sometimes distractions are pretty harmless, but at other times, they can have far more severe consequences. The main, uh, in my brief Google research, the main cause of a lot of our road fatalities and road deaths is due to people being distracted on the phone, um, be that on the phone or, or by other means. And parents trying to turn to the back seat to deal with the physical fistfight that might be going on amongst their kids as they go through a stop sign. A businessman or woman on the way to the airport who grabs their phone to check the latest notification that's come in, who goes through that red light. Sometimes distractions hold more severe consequences than others. And while some of us are more susceptible to being distracted than others might be, given the right circumstances, every single one of us can be distracted. And given the right circumstances, every single one of us can be diverted in our mental focus from where it should be. The Apostle Paul knows this all too well, and it's why he takes the time in our text tonight to help his readers and us minimize the distractions which so easily focus our hearts and our minds on earthly things rather than on things that are eternal in value. Specifically, and tonight, like I've got on the slide, Paul wants us to look at living our life through these three lenses with our future in mind, with our focus in mind, but also with our freedom that we have as a Christian. So let me pray and then we'll explore these three lenses in a bit more detail. Father God, thank you so much for who you are and all you've done for us. Thank you that we can freely gather here this evening And open your word and we just pray and trust that you, through your Holy Spirit, reveal to us um, the things that might be distracting us in our lives from where our focus needs to be, uh, being undivided on you. Uh, And may we not just recognise where these distractions are, but give us the conviction, the strength, the accountability uh, to go and deal with that as well. Amen. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to 1 Corinthians 7, we're going to start at verse 25 and we will get through the end of the chapter tonight, through to verse 40. Um, now at the top, I just want to point out and be complete, oh there's a lady getting distracted, coffee, phone, um, Oh, man, now I feel a bit guilty. Uh, oh, that's, not, that's from last week's. Oh, man, tonight is a shambles. Sorry about that. Um, now, at the top, I just want to be upfront that this passage that we're reading specifically addresses... Uh, Paul is specifically addressing the topics of uh, people's marital statuses and their relationships and where they're at there. But for us tonight while we need to keep that in mind, as that is what the passage is about, I'm not trying to make this passage say things it doesn't, that is who Paul is addressing and what it's about, but I do believe that the godly principles we learn from Paul in this passage can be and should be applied far more broadly than just that of a Christian's marital status. So just because you might not find yourself in a relationship um, or as an engaged couple waiting to be married, There's still plenty of encouragement and challenge that we should get from this text. So let's read verses 25 through to 31 of 1 Corinthians 7. Now concerning the betrothed, I have no command from the Lord, but I give my judgment as one who by the Lord's mercy is trustworthy. I think that in view of the present distress, it is good for a person to remain as he is. Are you bound to a wife? and those who mourn as though they were not mourning, and those who rejoice as though they were not rejoicing, and those who buy as though they had no goods, and those who deal with the world as though they had no dealings with it. For the present form of this world is passing away. Here we have Paul again addressing questions that the Corinthians have written to him asking about. Like we've covered time and time again, 1 Corinthians is not the first letter he has exchanged with these people. Um, And so he is addressing questions that they have written back asking him. And yet again, it's a topic that Jesus himself didn't specifically address. So Paul's not able to quote from the Gospels or pull the Jesus card of, hey, Jesus said this, that's it. But instead, he does and he can offer his own take and offer his own judgment, as verse 25 says... As one who, by the Lord's mercy, is trustworthy, and Paul's take is clear, especially for anyone who was here last week in our message that it called people that, to remain as they are, that God calls everyone from different walks of life, different cultures, different backgrounds, religions, socio-economical statuses, that God calls people just as they are, and Paul shows similar logic here. He says, when it comes to marital status, in verse 26, I think it's good for a man to remain how he is. Now, sometimes in the Bible, we we need to work a bit harder to consider, right, this this says this, uh, but what's it actually mean? What's the context? What's going on here? It says one thing, but sometimes like when it comes to me trying to understand my wife, hey, she said this, but what does she actually mean? Uh, With Paul... We rarely need to do this, and we certainly don't need to do this here. Paul's judgment is almost embarrassingly straightforward. It's another call to simply remain how you are. He says, if you're engaged, great, don't try and get out of it. If you're not engaged, great, don't worry about getting married. He makes it clear that marriage is not sinful, but he is also very aware that marriage does present difficulties in this life, which in his take can be better avoided. Now, some scholars, where it talks about in these present circumstances, some scholars argue that because of these present circumstances, that it relates to a crisis going on specifically for the church in Corinth at that time. Personally, I more so agree with the commentators who believe that we get closer to Paul's intended purpose. If we understand the Greek word for crisis, enantki, to not mean crisis, which implies an intense short-term problem, but rather to understand it as being a necessity or a constraint. Because read this way, Paul's advice to remain as you are is based not on some out-of-the-ordinary situation, but rather is based on the simple challenges of everyday life in a fallen, sinful world. And to me, that's how he explains himself in verse 29, where he says, what I mean, brothers, is that time Is short. Paul is well known for living his life and for calling Christians to live their lives in anticipation for the return of Jesus Christ, just like Jesus taught his disciples to. But to do this, Paul is not like some crazy cult leader that's got some secret bunker that he's hanging out for this apocalyptic return where he's gone to Woolworths and Coles and he's bought all the toilet paper and everything else and he's stockpiled everything. Uh, He's not like that. To live in light of Christ's return, he's simply urging people in verses 29 to 31 to not hold on to the things of this world so tightly. Hold them loosely. Keep what you have now in perspective because there is a greater future coming and that is what you need to live in light of. Paul, through this section, is clearly encouraging us and warning Christians to live our lives in light of our fast approaching future. And he's like a warning sign saying, Don't get distracted. Live in light of your eternal future. Don't get distracted with the temporary things of this world. Because if we do get distracted, it can be fatal. As we find ourselves suddenly living for a, towards a temporary end rather than an eternal life and an eternal future. So let me ask you, are you living your life right now with Christ's return in mind? Are you living your life right now in light of your approaching eternal future? Be that with a relationship with Jesus or without or are you getting distracted by the temporary things of this world? Ultimately, we can get distracted and we can be tricked into thinking that these worldly things that we have now, that, they, that they're not temporary. We can deceive ourselves or be deceived. that These things do last forever. Relationships, houses, cars, careers, sports, video games. But the reality is they don't. And we need to live accordingly. Everything we have now is temporary. As verse 31 says, For this world in its present form is passing away. So let me ask you, are you consciously living your life as a Christian with your eternal future at the forefront of your mind? Then he moves from future onto our current focus. Verses 32 to 35. I say this for your own benefit, not to lay any restraint upon you, but to promote good order and secure your undivided devotion to the Lord. Unmarried people, Paul explains here in 32 to 34, that they can be exclusively devoted to what the Lord wants them to do. They, in Paul's mind, can be single-minded in a way that married people... Don't have the freedom to be. If God calls a single person to a dangerous, possibly life threatening situation over the other side of the world, just like what happened to Paul himself, they can drop everything and go far more easily than what a married person can. Whereas married people, quite rightly for their context, for them to follow God, they they also have other things they need to consider. They need to be concerned, as Paul says, about the things of this world, not necessarily in a negative sense. He's not saying here, meaning that it's not that a married person can't follow God to where he leads, to a life-threatening situation on the other side of the world, but before he just drops and runs, it would be good if he talks to his wife about it. It would be good if he considers his kids, or she considers her kids, and talks to her husband about it. They don't have that same ability to literally just drop and go as freely as what a single person does, is Paul's mindset here. And so his argument is that if our goal is undivided devotion to the Lord, then that's why his human take is that remaining single is preferable to marriage. Now, to apply this, like I said, tonight let's broaden our thinking from just marriage and singleness that Paul is addressing if our if our goal is complete focus and undivided devotion to God let me ask you what is distracting you from that in your context are you distracted from that are you completely focused on honoring and pleasing God Or are there distractions in your life that take away from your focus on Him? Here, Paul is again like a warning sign saying, don't get distracted. Keep both your future and your focus in check where they need to be. So let me ask you, are you single-minded in your devotion to God? Or are you getting distracted and the things of this world might have taken your focus? If so, what is distracting you? What are the things that hold your focus now, today? Maybe you're focused on relationships. Maybe you're focused on sports, video games, good grades, church ministry even, progression in your workplace. These things in and of themselves are not wrong, but if they take our focus away from God, then they can become fatal distractions that can cost our lives if our attention is not snapped back to where it needs to be, with our undivided focus upon God. So what are you focused on at the minute? Is it taking away from your ability to focus on God as you should be? Then let's close with 36 to 40. If anyone thinks he is not behaving properly towards his betrothed, if his passions are strong, and it has to be, Let him do as he wishes. Let them marry. It is no sin. But whoever is firmly established in his heart, being under no necessity, but having his desire under control, and has determined this in his heart to keep her as his betrothed, he will do well. So then, he who marries his betrothed does well, and he who refrains from marriage will do even better. A wife is bound to her husband as long as he lives. But if her husband dies, she is free to be married to whom she wishes only in the Lord. Yet in my judgment, she is happier if she remains as she is. And I think that I too have the Spirit of God. Alongside of a commitment to a disciple's future and a disciple's focus, Paul still absolutely insists on a disciple's freedom. And a disciple's freedom being their liberty of conscience when it comes to any decision that isn't sinful. It's not a freedom to go and sin. That's not what this is saying. And true to form, Paul yet again reiterates that in his view, singleness is better, but he cares far more about Christian freedom than he does about encouraging believers to remain single. He says marriage is not sinful and a believer... In Jesus has the freedom to marry whoever they like, whether they're single or widowed. The only requirement is that their chosen partner must be in the Lord. This is Paul's only criteria for choosing a partner to marry. Do they love God? If not, he's saying it should be a deal breaker until they do love god now i'm totally aware and i know examples and have friends that um they've gotten together with one being a christian and one not and the other has become a believer that's god being gracious in our misjudgments that's not god blessing our decision Um, I've seen plenty more go haywire than what has worked out. Because I believe that Paul puts this here to encourage us that in the midst of our freedom not to use it in a way that dishonours God. And as a Christian, this is just my take now, but as a Christian who seeks to honour and glorify Jesus Christ with every aspect of my being. like Corinthians says, whether you eat, whether you drink, whatever you do, including who you choose to date and who you choose to marry, do all for the glory of God. And to choose to date or marry, and we covered marriage a few weeks ago, how it's not just a human thing, it's a very spiritual union and it is a big deal and an awesome gift from God. To choose to date or marry someone who does not, at this point in time, honour Jesus Christ and someone that doesn't recognise Jesus as King and someone who has no interest in glorifying Him. Well, how does that decision honour God? I don't believe it does. To go down that path, I think is just like all the other distractions that take away our focus from where they should be. And so essentially Paul is here in this last bit saying, hey, absolutely, you've got this freedom as a Christian that God has gifted you. Just make sure in your freedom to make choices that honour Him, not ones that dishonour Him. So let me ask you as we close, In living your life in your Christian freedom, are you using your... Like, how's your decision-making going? Are you using your freedom in a way that honours God or are you making choices that dishonour Him? What about at night? At midnight, with all the doors closed with no one else around? Are you making choices in your freedom that honour God or that dishonour Him? the band can come up, I'm done. My prayer is simply for each and every one of us this week, that throughout this week, we would think about this future focus and freedom. And that we would use our Christian freedom to make choices that honour God, keeping our focus undividedly on Him as we live in light of our fast approaching future. Let me pray. Oh God, thanks so much for who you are and all you've done for us. Lord, we praise you that you love us and not just that you did love us or that you do for a short period of time, but that you love us for all of eternity. So much that you not only died, you rose again and you are returning to bring your sons, your daughters, to spend an amazing eternity with you in your kingdom. God, may we just live in light of that reality. That here, everything we see, touch on this earth is temporary. But what we have in our relationship with you is eternal. And that is what matters. That is what we need to live in light of. And that is what should hold our focus. So going into this week, Lord, may we use freedom you've gifted us in a way that honors you may we keep our focus on you and may we live in light of your fast approaching return amen thanks bill thanks paul let's stand together shall we